0: What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and we are recapping the weekend with the OGs, editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. What to do, sir?
2: Hello, 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 Preston. How you doing on this fabulous Monday morning?
0: I'm good, man. A couple of a couple of weird things. I had to take my dog to the ER last night. My phone broke, but he's fine. He uh, ate 16 packs of gum, uh, sticks of gum, I should say, and the wrappers. So we've had him on a diet recently because the doctor keeps telling us he's overweight and that we're cruel and unusual parents. Uh, But he's fine now. They pumped him full of fluid and we gave him more food. So
1: I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell, We're a partner men can count on.
0: Contact Cordell, Cordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Oh, well, He is thrilled. He's running all about the house. How are you, sir?
2: I'm I'm good. I'm just glad to hear that because you you told Kevin and I about that and you never really gave us an update on your dog's condition. So we assumed he was okay, but you know yeah. You just don't want to hear that.
0: Sixteen sticks—that's a lot, man. <laughs> I know that they, they had us uh pretty much um, on red alert while we were at the emergency room. We had to call the toxicologist, and they said, "Of course, he's fine now." But uh, this is a lot of information. But basically, dogs don't process artificial sugar the way that humans do. Humans react to it as artificial sugar. For dogs, it confuses their system, and it can cause an insulin crash, and they can seize, and ultimately go into cardiac arrest. And they had us fill out all this form. If he does go into cardiac arrest, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to revive him? All this stuff really scary stuff, but I was looking at my wife, and I was like, I'm pretty sure he's going to be fine. Uh, he looked like he was fine, but like I said, I'm, I'm no doctor. Anyway, we've been talking about this way too long. Let's introduce the second uh, member of our pod right now, or third, I guess, because I would be the second. This is going well. Mr. Kevin Berrios, uh, save us, sir.
3: No, please go on about your dog. I <laughs> want to sit here and listen about all that. All I'm right, just, just joking. I'm glad, I'm glad he's good, Um, and I just finished uh, cooking a meal that did not include 16 sticks of gum. So. <laughs> We're doing Uh, much better over here.
0: He is going to have fresh breath pretty much for the rest of his life. Kevin, before we go on, tell us a bit about your banana Republican.
3: (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm a bartender and me and my friends that work together, we sometimes kill time by making up ridiculous cocktails. And we usually start with a title and then figure out the drink from there. Um, So I made up one called the Banana Republican, which is old granddad whiskey, banana liqueur, soda water man it's as terrible as it sounds
0: <laughs> you guys uh need a hobby uh again you guys can follow them at kevin b for bounce and at ali cosell and at the bird rides in case you already didn't know and speaking of which the bird rides uh has something important this week they celebrated eight thousand followers and this is no small milestone i can remember uh, a time last year when the site was just around like sixty five hundred or so so you guys have been working really hard to to build this up to to get all these followers you keep churning out great content all the time. Previews, recaps, think pieces, podcasts, all that stuff. So let's take a moment. Let's celebrate the work that we've all done. With that, Ali, why don't you start us off with one of your favorite moments being a Bird rights writer or editor, whichever you prefer.
2: My favorite was when we made the playoffs uh, back three years ago on the last day of the regular season. And 24 hours earlier, I, I was just feeling positive. And everybody was, you know, feeling depressed. It's the Spurs, right? The Pelicans never had really success against San Antonio. Yet I wrote a piece saying three reasons why the Pelicans are going to win. And guess what? Of course, they won, but I pretty much know <laughs> what happened in that game. So I don't know. I finally think of that piece whenever I want to, you know, think of something positive about the site and, you know, just the excitement it kind of generated. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that's not just a major turning point for the Pelicans. I remember the Spurs went from whatever it was, third seed to sixth seed and ultimately led to their downfall in a season one seven game series with the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, So that was a, a big turning point for a lot of different franchises, including the Oklahoma City Thunder, who got bumped out via that spectacular tiebreaker that we've all probably seen 30 times by now. What about you, Kevin? What's your favorite moment?
3: Um, you know, uh, it's funny that Ollie brought that up. I kind of wasn't thinking of this moment, but, um, that, that playoff run, um, I mean, the, the last game of the season against the Spurs after that game happened, he got a bunch of us to write sort of our take from inside of the arena. Um, and that was kind of an interesting, uh, aspect, you know, I just wrote about my in game experience during the, um, that Spurs game, which was cool. But, um, I was going to say, I think, you know, my first piece was, uh, Uh, that I ever wrote where I did a state of the roster uh, overview for that season. Um, Right at the beginning of the year, Ali uh, had reached out for some new writers. I sent in uh, sort of an application, I guess, with some links to some of the stuff I had written for anti-gravity. And he said, give it a go, write a fan post. And I don't think he was in uh, expecting a 6,000 word (laughs) response to that. Um, But um, that was a fun piece, you know, It was kind of loose. I wasn't really trying to include a whole lot of stats or anything. It was more like a fun take look through the roster. And um, I think that was a fun piece. And it was a good introduction for me, I guess, to the uh, writing for the Pelican about the Pelicans.
0: Very cool. And I'll wrap this up uh, quickly. Basically it's podcasting with you guys. I have a blast doing this. I don't have a, a whole lot of friends who enjoy the Pelicans out here in Orlando. And most of my friends who do watch basketball, you know, they're more like fair weather friends guys like, Hey, did you see what LeBron did last night? I'm like, no, I don't care what LeBron's doing. He's in Cleveland. Uh, so, uh, and, and other than that, probably like talking to Jamel McMillan uh, was, was also a big thrill. I remember being very nervous for that. And I, I don't know why I was in hindsight because he's such a, a giving, Kind-hearted person, he gave so many great anecdotes. He was so generous with his time. He, I think, he would have kept talking to us all night if we had asked him to. And we know how busy he was, so definitely a big thrill. But I, I'll probably say, hanging out with you guys, doing this podcast, it's really fun to talk about our Pelicans. It's really fun to have a good team, and it's really fun to have a bunch of passionate, like nice guys who who just want to talk basketball and don't necessarily have a, I don't know, a mean bone in their body. At least I don't see any mean bone in you guys' body. You guys, pretty much for the most part. Keep passionate and keep positive and uh, keep talking about the Pelicans even when they're down. We still get on this thing and we still talk to each other. And that's been been a pretty big thrill for me or my biggest thrill uh, at thebirdrice.com. Let's go ahead and move on. We've probably been talking for a while and fans probably want us to talk about the Pelicans at this point. And we're going to start with the hottest topic of the weekend. And no, it's not the victory over Boston, although that was big. You guys, of course, know what I'm alluding to. It's Alvin Gentry getting a fine. And before I throw it over Ali, who was there witnessing the meltdown, not a meltdown. It was a a very uh, smartly uh, said piece. He said, all we want is an equal opportunity to win the game, not have a situation where we are guessing on the biggest play of the game, where they call a three point foul from the corner. All of you take a look at the play. And if you think that's a foul, if anybody out here thinks it's a foul, then you tell me and I'll shut up and I won't say one more thing. You take a look at that play and tell me what you think when a guy comes up and winks and says, I got him. So Ali, was that a foul? (laughs)
2: I don't think so. Not, and
0: and especially when you have to look at what was
2: being called throughout that game. It was not um, a high foul game where, you know, basically the referees were letting a lot of contact go. So you've got to look at that. If that's kind of the pattern they established, and, and they did through the first half, you know, there was barely any free throw shot, there were barely any whistles throughout that first half. And then suddenly in the second half, and especially that fourth quarter, Things change big time in favor, of course, the Rockets and James Harden. Uh, all of a sudden, these touch feathery little did he touch him? Did he not on his shooting stroke or going by or whatever? Suddenly, things went in Houston's way. That's where we watch Anthony Davis literally getting mauled inside the post all night long. I was witnessing, along with the rest of the media, Eric Gordon, uh, Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker and James Harden literally putting two hands on Anthony Davis, either throwing him down, pushing him. Basically, all these things that are in the rule book, 12B guys, look it up. Personal fouls. It says players cannot do that. If a player's in the post, you can only use an arm bar. And there's certain other, you know, kind of uh, allowances. But what the uh Rockets were doing, absolutely not. So I was there and I was so happy to see Anth or Anthony Davis, Alvin Gentry really go off because let's face it, AD really doesn't get those superstar calls. You don't see him getting those questionable outside of you know some road games like for instance the phoenix suns game but overall during his career especially when alvin gentry's been here he's just literally witnessed ad being called like almost any other guy in the court and for a league that is superstar driven to where they do get the benefit out and i'm referring to the best players why is ad seemingly exempt on most nights so no i loved everything about that i love how alvin gentry stood up for his guy and uh we'll see what happens you know going forward didn't really get to see it in the Boston Celtics game. That was kind of interesting. We were talking about that. Will it have an influence in the upcoming games? And um, I'm kind of glad it didn't because then obviously that would be the next storyline. No, it looked like the Pelicans, you know, they kind of had an easy game. And I'm, I know we'll get into talking about it. But the fact that it wasn't a close game, the fact that the Pelicans didn't really have to, like, you know, combat the Celtics in the post uh, too much as to where there was a lot of contact really helped the situation and avoid, you know, possibly rehashing this argument
0: and of course Ali has an or- article up right now on thebirdrights.com uh the pelicans deserve a friendlier whistle and some of the quotes in there he said why is there a preference shown to jump shooters uh, over those that are battling for scores in the paint i thought was a good point and he said since boogie's injury pelicans are third in shots in the paint but 29th in free throw attempts. And I think he he wrote something along the lines of in the last nine games, the Pelicans are just at 14 shots from the line, where before that I think they're averaging somewhere around 20. Get in on this, Kevin. Also break down for us that ankle tackle at the end of the game that was uh, eventually ruled, Rockets balled. And uh, Joel Myers was saying over the telecast that if you don't rule a foul as it happens, you can't go back in time and rule a foul once you watch the video screen. But do you think that's a major one that these guys missed?
3: Oh yeah, I mean that was a, that was a big one that they missed. You know, it's kind of like with Joel My- Joel Myers was sort of like the kinder, gentler version of Avon Boxdale in season one of The Wire when they're having that basketball game and the ref uh, doesn't call the foul and he's all on his face. And then of course, because he's you know um, a murdering drug kingpin, the the refs trying to backtrack and say they'll do a do over, but he's like, "There's no do overs." You know, you got to call it as it is, and that's true. I mean, you just got to call it. You can't go back and do revisionist history on something. But, you know, the league needs to start getting into, uh, you know, putting in much more effort and making sure that these games are called more fairly. And it's not just because of, you know, superstar calls and those kind of things. It's also just because the joy of the game. It's not fun watching guys flop and flip flail and get to the line and you're spending all game on the free throw line it's 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 also an entertainment issue that they need to look at that's going to hurt their brand and also you know you have those old school detractors from the game already so anything like this that makes it seem like guys are getting um bailed out for you know nothing and not you know the guys that want to see contact and letting them play through contact and then you seeing these non-fouls or super touch fouls get called for these superstars. It just detracts from the game. And, yeah, um, I mean, that, that's about it. I mean, like, that was a huge swing at the end of the game, that four-point swing, basically. That, that was my biggest issue. You're going to me- miss that call uh, where you uh, called that foul on Drew Holiday on James Harden, which clearly wasn't a foul. After you can look up at the board, and we all know he looked up, the, the official looked up at the screen because they pointed to the screen and he looked up. And Alvin Gentry complains, you can't give the coach a technical for whatever he said to you when you clearly blew that call. And that's the, that was the biggest thing for me because that was a four-point swing, and that was too much to overcome at that point in the game. If it would have just been the three-point foul that they messed up on, that's one thing. But then also to reward them with a tech for a complaint on a foul that was clearly not a foul and a crucial crucial uh, crucial point in the game is just absurd to me.
0: Yeah, before we move on to the actual game itself, I want to briefly touch upon technical fouls, Ali, uh, just because Alvin Gentry, I believe, has had them in three games straight. There were two technicals called against the in the Spurs game. There were two in the Rockets game, of course, that being Rajon Rondo, referring to someone as a baby, and Alvin Gentry said that he was walking away from an official and was still teched up. And then against the Celtics, Alvin Gentry got another one. What's with all these techs, Ali?
2: Well, Preston, how many games are left in the season? And have you looked at the standings? <laughs> Every game is such a big deal right now, man, um, where, you know, every call, especially towards the end of games, it really does matter, you know? So it's not surprising that the tempers are getting a little bit more flared and uh, because the stakes are higher. So I think this is all to be expected. And, like, it's kind of glad that Alvin did what he did in the Houston game. As far as the Boston Celtics game, I don't know. I'm just throwing that one out the window. But you got to think about that Houston Rockets game, that tech call against Rondo, because if it's true – I've got a problem with that one too. I mean, Kevin already touched on the whole Alvin Gentry technical, but I got a problem with Rondo. And we know bench players talk all the time, whether it's to the referees, whether it's to the players. And unless they really go overboard, um, then why was that technical award? If all Rondo said was he called some other uh, what was a player? He's from Rocket Baby. You know that does not that does not call for a technical. So. <sighs> You asked me why there's more technicals. I want to say, honestly, I want to put on the referees because they're being idiots. But, you know, that's not the apropos that, you know, we can't say that. So let's just stick with what I said originally, huh? Just stakes are higher, pressing, you know, and everybody's getting a little more heat, getting a little more defensive because so much is on the line and there's so few games left.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a good take. If I was in the locker room right now, I would definitely be preaching to those guys to, to keep their heads, because without those crucial technical free throws in those two games with the Spurs and the Rockets, uh, it comes down to the final possession. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't in this one. Let's go ahead and get to the game. Kevin, looking at the statistics, it really felt like uh, Chris Paul was really having his way with the Pelicans, but you look at a stat line, 21, 8, and 7, he only shot 8 of 19 from the field, although he was 3 of 6 from three-point range. And a lot of the good stuff the Pelicans did came from the bench of course we're going to spend a lot of time talking about check dial and a lot of time talking about ian clark darius miller was a little bit better in this one uh nikola meretic is still struggling to score but he's playing some steady defense talk about what you saw in this one talk about DeAndre liggins in the starting lineup and talk a bit about i'm giving you enough topics here you're going to have to cover all of them don't forget any of them emeka okafer has been uh taking a step back in minutes the previous two games with the celtics and the rockets as well touch on all of that the timer is starting now
3: all right. Yeah. So I think we could go back to earlier in the season where we were talking about there needed to be a change in the starting lineup, where Rondo is removed, Drew holidays for point guard, and then you had Darius Miller starting at the three, and Etan Moore gets to move back to his normal uh, position at the uh, two guard spot. That would solve a lot of problems. They did a little bit um, with that by bringing Liggins in, but Liggins isn't the offensive threat that that. Darius Miller is Liggins is a better defender, but Darius Miller isn't a slouch on defense and he's a better playmaker and he um you know he spaces the floor more and I feel like that's the direction they need to go in and I think that would stop some sluggish starts um that we get sometimes and also it just benefits everybody a little bit more because um, Etwan gets to put, not, doesn't have to guard. You know, a three. He can guard a two or a one, depending on what the matchup is there. Where you might have Drew on the two, whatever. Um, and then of course, Okafor is down there, bang and rebound and setting screens, which his screen setting will open up a lot of open shots for Darius and Etwan, which will help them out tremendously and it frees Anthony Davis up, and I think that's the way to go. And then, you know, you get Rondo in there to facilitate with the second unit. You have Ian Clark coming off the bench. You have Miritich, who's doing everything right, except for taking really bad shots sometimes, and some of his good shots are going in. I mean, if you can get him to start taking better shots, hopefully those shots will start falling, but he, he takes some pretty bad shots, and that's something that he's, needs to be addressed. But that being said, He's providing rebounding, defending, playmaking. So all of that is good. Um, Now, I've completely forgotten all of your other questions. So if Uh, what other ones I didn't answer in that statement fire at me right now?
0: I think you did a pretty terrific job. Basically, we're just covering the production of the the bench in these two matchups, specifically in the Rockets game where the bench really came in and they, they gave a lot of firepower to a starting unit that initially was not doing so well. Uh, they trailed by as many as 20 points at one point. But we got a lot of contributions from, like, talk about Ian Clark.
3: Okay. Well, also what I want to say, too, is I always find that whenever there's an earlier start, we start off super sluggish. I think we must have, like, a really late-night team. They must be up all night, like, not necessarily out, but just up, because they just seem to not be able to start the game whenever it's, like, a 3 o'clock, you know one o'clock or five o'clock game they always come out sluggish but of course getting back to what you're asking about Ian Ian Clark has been tremendous we all know that you know you and I are big Eton Moore fans but he's been slumping lately and Ian Clark has definitely stepped up and uh, filled that role of that consistent outside shooter the penetrator he's he's playmaking and his defense has been much improved the last few games you know we've seen him uh get in front of people, keep staying in front of people, stripping balls, um being aggressive defensively, and then of course you know, check Diallo, who we've all loved forever, is uh you know making a huge impact off the bench uh lately. He's not having boneheaded plays, his energy is uh contagious on the court, he's rebounding, he's blocking shots, he's you know taking smart shots. Um, and he's finishing well around the room and he's running the floor like we all expected. I mean, he's, he's a very quick big man. He's very uh, fast. So him running the floor. is great, um, you know, and I think I like compared with both of the bigs, you know, either 1, it works so you can uh, keep rolling them out however you want.
0: Ali, uh, let's continue talking about the depth. But in addition to that, I really want to uh, concentrate for a moment on Anthony Davis and on physical contact that he's been getting from the Hornets, the Spurs, and the Rockets. Teams are essentially letting him uh, do his thing in the first quarter and then locking him up from then on out with two, sometimes even three defenders in certain instances against the Rockets. And they're doing it with big body power forwards like Luke Mbamute, uh PJ Tucker, Trevor Ariza, just sending bodies at him, guys grabbing him, guys holding him, assuming that he's not going to get the friend whistle every single time how do we continue getting anthony davis the space and the positioning that he likes knowing that these defenders are going to be draped all over him
2: yeah part of the problem Preston has been he's gotten off these fast starts right and what's happened is he's been able to start uh his offense his catches particularly uh wherever he wanted on the floor and um and for instance let's talk in the houston game in the second and third quarters Houston didn't allow him basically to catch it outside of, or inside of 18 feet or so. Granted, I felt like A.D. could have circumvented that by simply trying to get, you know, walk up to the rim. Go ahead and try and post up your player there. Instead, he was like kind of, you know, playing what the defense gave him as to where he was like, all right, I don't have to fight that hard if I catch it out here. And that's kind of the vibe, you know, what we got up in Media Row, especially Andrew and I, we were talking about that. Part of it was on AD. He simply didn't, you know, try and seek out better position closer to the rim um, and just settle for catching outside. And then therefore it led to, you know, uh, what was it? I forget how many jumpers he missed, but guys, he's been off last couple of games with his uh, mid-range, like that long mid-range shot. And so he was, you know, just reluctant or he wasn't reluctant to, uh, oh, what am I, Hell, am I trying to say here? Basically, uh, Preston, A.D. simply, I hate blaming the guy, you know, but I almost feel like I have to here, where he already does so much. But, again, he kind of could have, like I said, circumvented that by trying to catch it lower in the post, maybe moving more, do it off pick and rolls, coming off some stagger screens. Instead, he just went ahead and just caught it, you know, 18 feet out the three-point line and settled. So that was kind of on him. Now, as to where the double and triple teams came, of course, what is it? It's easy to do that when you've got a guy staying that far away from the rim. You're suddenly able to pull more by. So it was kind of like a domino effect. But then what he would do is when it got in the crunch time, he went back down into battling right inside the paint in both fourth quarters of these last couple games, or I should say more like the third quarter in the Celtics game. But AD, it seems like he's got this on off switch, right? And you can't blame him for that. That's the big thing. And that's what I want everybody to know is he does so much every game. And we're now hitting about the 70th game of the season. So all these guys are tired. They're trying to find ways to preserve their energy. And it's not just the Pelicans. If you look on other teams, they're doing the same thing. I mean, it's amazing how much I noticed Chris Paul take defensive plays off. He was horrible. Ian Clark burned him so many times in that game. So it's not just the Pelicans um, you know, taking some plays off. It's just what fans know. because that's who they care for. That's what their eyes are focused on. So I know I've been talking long-winded here on this, this answer, but – in terms of Anthony Davis, he's doing what you want, Preston. He, he's largely battling his effort. His energy is all there. But there are a few small things that he could do better to kind of get around the fact that the way teams are playing him. Uh, and this was particularly noticeable in the past, where it was really, it, it just got under our skins. Kevin and I have talked about so many times where AD was just, you know, catching the ball. Uh, what was it about? Like I said, like in that long mid range uh, distance. And trying to, you know, start his offense there. And, and for instance, I remember Jared Dudley when he was with the Wizards. He particularly gave A.D. problems. And it was simply because A.D. chose to start his offense, chose to try and catch the ball in certain parts of the floor that weren't conducive to him scoring. So, I don't know if I answered your question. I made a hell of a mess of that answer. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, I, I got the gist of what you were trying to say. And and it is difficult. It is an, a combination uh, of different things. If they're going to drape all over him, essentially other guys have to step up. And if they're not going to step up, it's going to take a, aggressive screens. It's going to take guys with smart body positioning, getting those guys off of Anthony Davis so that Anthony Davis can have the room to operate because we just can't have him playing 38 minutes per game and backing down repeatedly, getting hit like that in the post, getting all that incidental contact. That's that's really going to wear him down as we go forward. One more thing that I want to talk about on Anthony Davis before we get back to the depth, Kevin, is James Harden, Clint Capella really were roasting Anthony Davis in the first half. Anthony couldn't make a a correct decision if he went after uh, James. James was going to loft it up for an easy Aliop to Clint Capella, and if he stayed at home on Capella, James Harden was going to kiss it off the glass, there was really no right answer for him. How can the Pelicans defend that better on March
3: 24th? I mean, I don't know that you can defend that better. That's two quality players that have where well, that play is very deadly, they use that to kill everybody. So you just have to try to live with it, and you try to have to do better off of the off of the screen. If they're running pick and rolls, you need to uh, switch, be- have better switches in mind, or just do better, have better effort in staying in front of guys, and hopefully having more perimeter defenders out there. You know, you if you don't have like Rondo or you know even Etwan or Ian Clark running off of a screen getting locked eaten up in a screen if you have somebody like a drew holiday or a Liggins or a or a um solomon hill playing a little bit more minutes that can absorb some of those screens and and fight through them better um then some of that might not happen as much but i mean that's something you have to live with those teams that team pick and rolls people to death and, like we should do i mean we have been doing as well um so It's just as it's unstoppable when we commit to it. It's just as unstoppable when they do because they just have the talent to do that. And You just have to, you know, get lucky sometimes. And sometimes you just need to be in the right place. But, you know, it just takes the effort of fighting through the screen and staying in front of your man and uh, doing the best you can.
0: All right, Ali, before we get to the Celtics, last question. The decision to sit Rondo and start DeAndre Liggins in his place. Go.
2: It was a smart one. Everybody says, well, the company line, I guess, is that you see the schedule. Pelicans have a, a, 10 million games, it seems like, in a matter of a two weeks. So you've got to start picking and choosing some players to rest them. Now, I found out before the game that actually uh, Rondo had a little bit of an ankle issue. So it was smart to kind of go ahead and sit him, not only for the rest purposes, but because I'm sure all the guys are nicked up. But it sounds like uh, what was ailing Rondo, and I'm not sure which ankle it was or what had happened. But I have been told by somebody out there on the floor that, yeah, the reason to sit Rondo is mainly because his ankle is giving him a little bit of problems. So everybody wants to say it was a hundred percent the rest issue. Uh, it wasn't. So it's a smart decision. I know in hindsight you wonder could he have even helped a little bit because the Pelicans were close to stealing that game. But I just hate thinking like that. You know, you don't know if that would have if Rondo could have made things better or worse. So I'm fine with it, Preston. To be honest with you, I was absolutely fine with that decision.
0: Kevin, would you have started someone else in Legan's place?
3: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I would I wouldn't have Darius Miller out there. I think you, you create more spacing, you provide more playmaking, and his defense isn't isn't terrible. And then it it's helps Etwan Moore out as well. So, you know, I just think that's a better solution. And it would also help um in the situations where Anthony Davis is getting triple teamed because it's hard to leave a shooter like Darius Miller open you know even though he doesn't have that same reputation as you know guys around the league that we all know are marksmen or whatever he is a guy that will definitely hit the open three so they can't venture off of them too far or you can make them pay for it so i think that would be the route i would go i mean i don't necessarily mind that they started liggins because it all still helps etuan more gets him off of um you know a tougher cover but i i would that would be my solution
0: all right, let's get on going on the Celtics game. And, of course, the big storyline in that one, other than a quiet performance by Anthony Davis of 34, and I think it was uh, 11, it might have been 13. But the big story was Chek Diallo, the Wakanda forever. Of course, he's been giving us a finger wag and a soup stir against the Houston Rockets. He also raised the roof uh, yesterday. Talk about Chek Diallo's progress. And it was only a, a short, I think it was the, the Spurs and the Hornets, where he was getting DNPs. Now look at him, Molly.
2: Preston, can you see me? I'm doing the Wakanda salute, baby. <laughs> I am in love with what Shaq's been doing, man. And I am happy that the team, everybody's, you know, kind of been captivated by his exuberance because this is exactly what I've been calling for. If you guys noticed on the last few pods or so, uh, I've just been adamant about the Pelicans needing that energy source. You know, you need a spark. Every good team um, has that spark off the bench. that can, you know, get some easy points. Make a momentum-shifting play, just generally giving 110%. Like, for instance, my favorite comparison is right now what the Clippers are getting out of Montres Harrell. Every time I watch a Clippers play, this guy comes off the uh, bench and makes, you know, he changes the momentum of the game in favor of L.A. And he did it again last night, even though the Clippers ended up losing. It's, It's basically just something that I've been wishing for the Pelicans to have. And guess what? They've had it, it seemed like, this whole time in Diallo who has proven himself, I feel like, ever since DeMarcus went down. So, yeah, wasn't that weird that he got those DMPs against Charlotte, against the Spurs, and then, like, before that, I think he got, like, a few minutes against the Jazz, and he barely got in another game earlier in the month. I think, honestly, he's he's deserving of that 20 to 25 minutes off the bench, especially when you look at how Miritich has been struggling. Um, and Emeka is, honestly, I don't know if he's cut out for that big role and or he's not going to be a good matchup. So, for, for every team out there. So, I think Diallo needs to be better utilized by the coaching staff. So, let's just hope that he can springboard off this performance against the Celtics. where I'm telling you, he looked amazing. He absolutely looked amazing running the floor. Because before that, the Pelicans were getting really any any easy scores until both he and Ian Clark came in the game. And that's been the key to the Pelicans' attack. Ever since Boogie's gone down, the three-point shooting has really dried up. And so, the Pelicans have really made a concerted effort on getting more points in the paint. But yet, you know, when opponents know that's what you're going to do when you're going to try and go through AD or through Drew Holiday, who's consistently consistently trying to get to the rim, they're going to be able to shut it down. So you need other people to uh, kind of come in more bodies to be able to help in that attack. And so I think the Pelicans have got a prime one in Diallo. And uh, let's see, you know, let's see if this is a springboard because we've seen him have, you know, good games beforehand and kind of then just disappeared. Let's just hope this time the coaching staff sticks with him
0: and that he can keep producing. Now we've, Talked about in the past how you have to be smart with how you utilize Rajon Rondo at this point in his career. Thirty-two years old, he does a lot of things well, but there are teams uh, out there that can that can capitalize on on I guess his diminished athleticism getting into his his older age. And we're getting to that point at Mecca Okafer where we have to start wondering is he mat- is his production going to be matchup based? And where I'm going with that, uh, Kevin, is in the future specifically uh, Dallas, the Pacers, and the Lakers. There are a couple of matchups that might benefit check diallo more than a Mecha okafor do you want to continue with okafor in the starting lineup do you want it to be matchup based or would you like to see check diallo get some of those spots
3: i, I prefer okafor. i mean i love diallo but I, I prefer okafor starting i just think you know he knows the game he's not gonna get you in a hole early um he's gonna set solid screens he's gonna rebound which is you know one of the most important factors in the game, um, you know. A lot of times we give up a lot of second chance points having a guy like Okafor down there. I know he's going to box out. Whereas, you know, check he's he gets rebounds, but he's more he, he uses his athleticism more than he does his body. Um, and I think uh, you know Okafor's boxing out ability, going with his screen setting and his you know his high iq on the de- defensive end and he's also a good shot blocker but i also like just having Diallo come off the bench to provide a spark and uplift you know and energy and and then really start to to run the second against the second units you know for other teams who aren't as good defensively when you can just run on them and um you know Diallo's proven he can run the floor very well um and that's you know crucial to to uh scoring on the second unit and i like having that burst with him and Clark coming off there, you know, Clark's getting provides the outside shooting, the playmaking, um, the drives and floaters in the lane, but, but the Allo gives you that constant energy. um, And it's been great. Like I, I tweeted out a couple of games ago about how much I I love because I sit behind the bench. I like watching him on the bench when he's there because he like mimics every made bucket his teammates make, you know, if they do a Euro step, he's on the sideline Euro step. And if it's a, if it's a fadeaway, he's fake, he's doing mimicking a fadeaway. He's just fun to watch and a fun guy to have around. And I just think like having him as a burst of energy, as you know, A D and Drew are tiring a little bit from starting out the game coming in. He's a bit of a like he re-energizes people. And I think that's a good way to use him. And then you have that consistent veteran to start things off, to keep things level and uh to not fall too far behind. But then, you know, during the game, if you see a matchup uh that's you know not working out for a mecca then it's fine to give diallo most of the minutes you know just but i i would stick with the i mean uh okafor starting and then bring in diallo in, for those reasons
0: yeah, I definitely agree. I was just trying to upset the boat there, but you definitely want the veterans starting out the the game. And then, yeah, if you want to pull him early and give the closing minutes to check Diallo, although most of those minutes will probably go to Nikola Meritich and Darius Miller at this point. Anyway, let's let's talk about Meritich while we're on the subject, Ali. Uh, he he does a lot of the little things, but man, is he struggling offensively. He's something like 29% from the field uh, in his time with the Pelicans. He came out hot in that initial game against the Jazz, and he's just been having a a tough time ever since. Of course, against the Celtics, he still got 16 and 10, but a lot of that came from the free throw line, I think, where he was 7 of 9. He still ended up shooting 4 of 13 from the field. Uh, What's it going to take to get this guy back on pace?
2: Uh, He's not doing himself any favors. It seems like every game is getting worse and worse. What I mean by that is... He's simply shooting the ball on on at least half of his possessions as soon as he catches it. So he's turning right into his uh, defensive assignment and launching that kind of a contested three. And he's shooting about three or four of those a game. And uh, what else? And then other times he's getting, you know, whether he's in the post or, you know, wherever he catches it, he seems to be in a rush. You know, he doesn't seem to take his time. And you would expect a player with his experience coming, especially coming from the European leagues as to where, you know, they're taught kind of, more so than using athleticism, using, you know, their wits, using uh, getting up, you know, the defender off, basically off balance. Using a Euro move, using a whatever, Euro step, throwing up some ball fakes and such. And uh, we just haven't seen that out of Miritich. He's gotten himself in trouble on some drives, so he's had his shot rejected. And like I said, just the shooting, the three points, you know what's reminding me of, and I keep turning and saying this to both Andrew and David Grubb, who I sit next to, keep saying, doesn't he look like Ryan Anderson out there right now? Because he's like it's. just pull that trigger and he's doing it as soon as he catches the ball on half the time so it's it's really on him uh, Preston to kind of get himself easier shots get himself going I know that the Pelicans especially like say Rajon Rondo can do a better job of hitting him like say off a cut Aaron Stride but Mirtis has to be disciplined enough and you expect him to he's a 26 year old who what is it I think it's his fourth season now so he, he should be you know it, it's on him let's just leave it at that as to where he's just got to find, find kind of find the flow or get in the flow of the offense rather than just come in and start jacking up shots because he's not doing the Pelicans any favors right now. And if I'm Alvin Gentry, I'm thinking long and hard about, you know, giving away a lot of his minutes now going forward to either Diallo or to Miller or whoever's the hot guy. We had all hoped, and, you know, Miritich started off as, this, you know, really a good third supplement to AD and Drew, but he's he's taken like 50 steps back over like the last 10 games. He's just really struggling. And uh, so it's like whether the coaches need to set him down, uh, talk him through it, show him some game film or just have some teammates come up to him and kind of just get his mind back on track Uh, until that happens. You know, I don't know. Gentry's got a tough decision. The Pelicans have a season in, you know, on in the balance. But you can't play this guy 30 minutes going forward. He's just simply not doing enough out there. I know he's getting some rebounds. It was nice to see him get some blocks and steals yesterday. But before that, you know, he kind of became almost a defensive kind of, uh, you know, you you hate to say it, but uh, like uh, Darius Miller out there on the floor where he wasn't doing any favors on that end of the floor either. So, yeah, Preston, it's just weird and it's sad. And and you see on social media people now jumping all over him, just like they were on Drew Holiday at the start of the year or whenever any of our guys have struggled. And I hate saying that because, you know, a guy is just going through a slump. He's struggling. He's going to bounce back. Um, He's trying to do the best he can. But until he does, you know, like I said, there's like 12 games left. So Gentry's got a tough decision. Let's just hope he snaps out of the funk and somebody can help
0: him get out of it. Kevin, let's continue this same line. I think we've got a question from Bud Lane. He says, should Diallo get more minutes with Miritich or AD? And obviously, we can't pull the plug on Miritich. He's going to bounce back, just like Ali said. What's your best pairing for him to get him the, the touches and the space that he needs to get out of this funk?
3: Um, Well, one thing I was going to say, Ali, uh, I think it's funny that you said that about Ryan Anderson because I was talking to my seatmate at the games, uh, Travis, uh, about um, Miritich, and uh, and I said that he was like a slumping Ryan Anderson if he wasn't a one-dimensional player. You know, like he, he at least has that other things, but when Ryan Anderson was in a slump, it was infuriating to watch him because he would take those spinning fall away, contested uh jumpers non-stop Every second he touched the ball jack him up not move the ball and but then he also wasn't rebounding or defending but at least Miritich is doing those things so I think that's a pretty good comparison but um as far as who Diallo pairs best with you know um I, I like him with playing with Anthony Davis but I like it better when he's not on the court with Anthony Davis because he can play that Anthony Davis run up and down the floor role um And, you know, he can mimic that, um, getting out on the brakes, being the big man, running the floor and running to the rim and and those sort of things. So I think it's harder to play him with uh, Okafor because of the spacing issues, though I think you can create spacing other ways through playmaking, screen setting and stuff like that. So I don't mind when they play together a little bit, but probably if Miritich can find his jumper or just start taking better shots, that's the best player for him to play alongside of because it'll provide that spacing for him to do those rim runs and cuts off the baseline or pick and rolls with a, with a ball handler um, to get to the rim. And that's what you want Diallo doing. You want him running at the rim as much as possible because that's where his value is offensively.
0: Yeah, I definitely like the pairing with Miritich better than AD. I like Diallo uh, getting a feel for the ball, getting more shots up there, obviously with a player of Anthony Davis's caliber. Uh, he's he's going to want touches. He's going to want shots. And I, I just like Diallo out there with the second unit, just making those mistakes, getting those uh, second chance points and and fighting for boards and learning how to set picks and learning how to screen and roll. Uh, I, I just think when he's out there, he, he plays better the more he touches the ball, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's an energy guy, and, and he moves with or without it. But But when the ball is in his hands, he starts getting more confident and stuff starts happening. That's just my own... Personal opinion. Let's move on to Solomon Hill, because that was a big storyline uh, coming in yesterday. We saw that Kyrie Irving was not going to be participating, but Rajon Rondo and Solomon Hill were in. Solomon Hill missed 69 games, which is a pretty funny number because we're all immature here. Uh, and I think it was his birthday as well. Um, Ollie will remember that better. Anyway, the quote here is, I feel way better than I thought I would, said Hill. Credit to the staff and Mike G, sports performance consultant Mike Guevara, that's his name, for really being cautious. I'd rather be overprepared for my first day, and I felt great. I look forward to the next time out there. It was just a great feeling knowing that I felt better than I thought I would, so we'll see how tomorrow goes. Ali, we've got three games coming up, back to back to back. How much time do do you think we see out of Hill here?
2: I think we'll see him in the first game and the third game. He'll probably sit the pacer game. I can't imagine they're willing to throw him out on a back to back yet. But the biggest positive I took away is obviously not the stat line because he had registered one assist. And uh, it seemed like, you know, when he was out there on the court, especially on offense, he was kind of just trying to hide out there in the corner, whether it was by design or not. But he looked like Tante Cunningham. I had remarked to David during the game. But no, Solomon looked good from a movement perspective. But the best thing I took away from it was that post game media that you just touched on. It was the fact that he himself was a little bit surprised at how well he felt. And he said, I could have played more minutes. So it sounds like he got over like a major hurdle playing in that first game. He wasn't sure how his hamstring would react. Or maybe he was just, you know, just, of course, a player is going to be weary after having such a major injury and not be able to even walk for probably a few months. So I think he got over a lot of hurdles in that game. And the fact he came away feeling very positive about everything, even though he didn't have that stat line. I think that bodes well. I think the training staff, the coaches may be more willing to give him a few more minutes. Um, My guess was he was barely going to play at all, maybe even for really the rest of this season. But now I think we can expect him to start ramping up his activity uh, in terms of minutes played on the court. So I think that's all a good sign. But again, it's probably not going to be in a back-to-back. It's probably not for at least the first two weeks. At least you got to hope that because otherwise that's really testing the muscle and all that. And he even said he's working very diligently with the training staff. And they're trying to hold him back just as much as he's being careful. So it sounds like everything's going to go according to plan that they're really monitoring the situation. But again, I think there's hope for him to be able to contribute some more going forward.
0: Kevin, I have two questions for you, both relating to Solomon Hill. Obviously, uh, the Dallas Mavericks are crippled right now. They're not going to have Wesley Matthews. They're not going to have Dennis Smith Jr., who's out with a sore ankle. Do you want Solomon Hill out there under safer circumstances, or would you prefer to hold him until Wednesday night when they face the Pacers, who are 40 and 30, uh, locked in at a fifth seed right now, but they're in their own three-way tie. They're trying to get back to that third seed that – the Cavs lead over them by I think half a game right now. I think the Cavs are forty and twenty nine, something along that. And the second question relating to Solomon Hill, whose minutes does he take? Is it DeAndre Liggins?
3: Oh yeah, I mean it's surely DeAndre Liggins, and he might start eating into some of uh, Etan Moore's while he's in a slump. You know, um, and and Rondo too. I uh, start to see them probably starting to play Rondo a little bit less now, um, but. Um, I mean, I thought he moved all right. You know, it was nice to see him out there. His fro looked great. I love listening to him talk. Uh, so he's he's one of my favorite interviews on the team. Um, he's a, a personality that I really enjoy. Like when we went to media day, uh, his first year here, not this past year, but um, I thought he was really insightful. He was really um, one of the most forthcoming guys up at the podium. You know, he was interesting. He's He's very smart, clearly. And uh, I'm just glad we have him. Um, I, I was hoping he'd maybe get a shot or two up in that in that uh, game the other night, but you know, understand it's baby steps. you know, you've been out for that long you are tentative, and he always was kind of tentative and that was always sort of the issue with him on offense, is when he's confident. He's a, a you know a reliable player, but when he's not playing confident offensively or if he's just not being aggressive at all offensively then he can be a negative on that end. Um, So I was hoping, you know, because, you know, with a leg injury, mostly what he's doing is uh, taking shots all the time anyway, just because he can't do much else. So you're hoping that he would have some confidence in that jumper, and I would have liked to have seen it. Um, As far as playing in these next three games, um, you know, it's hard. As much as you want to say that Dallas game is an easy win, it just always seems like it's tough playing that team, whether it's Rick Carlisle or if it's just some sort of rivalry, or you always have guys like J.J. Barea, who I can't stand, Uh, who's been a New Orleans basketball killer for his entire career, and I just can't understand it because I watch him play, and I'm like, this guy's not that good, but he always destroys us. So, you know, it's hard to take that, game for granted i wouldn't say that's an easy win even though on paper it looks like it should be um i think it would be fun to let solomon play against his old team the pacers as well um but i mean for me i i agree with Ali that they will probably go the safe route where they're going to play him the first and the third and not play him on back-to-backs but really we're talking about a guy who's playing you know eight minutes a game so playing him three nights in a row eight minutes a game isn't That uh, to me isn't that much of a stretch, so I could see it where he would get some minutes in all three, but I think they'll probably go the safe route and go uh, first and third as well.
0: All right, this is a nice segue. We'll get into game previews now. Of course, we've got Dallas, Indiana Pacers, and Los Angeles Lakers all at home Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday Unprecedented three games in a row. And to start back with the Mavericks, Ali, um, Kevin mentioned that they've been a tough out. And I think he's referring to December 30th when the Pelicans had a really dis- disappointing uh, show of things with Boogie still in the lineup. I think we were something like 18 and 16 at the time that Dallas Mavericks were 12 and 25. However, Dennis Smith Jr. killed them in that one. Uh, Wesley Matthews was also a Part of that one, They're not going to have either of these guys. Look at their starting lineup, Ali. Kyle Collinsworth, Yogi Farrell, Dwight Powell, Dirk Nowitzki, and Harrison Barnes, who has not been playing well this season. It's not necessarily his fault since he is now the focal point of the offense and pretty much all of it. Coming off the bench, Jonathan Motley, Max Kleber, Jalen Jones, Nerlens Noel, may or may not. He's been getting lots of DNPs lately, including uh, one just last night. And Dorian Finney-Smith, who's only averaging about nine minutes per game. Ollie, tell me this one's going to be easy.
2: <laughs> it's never easy, Preston.
0: But I really got to say, I thought you were going to ask me some
2: trivia question coming up with all these names I've never heard of before. I mean, that, that that's an impressive list of names. And for being a basketball fan, I maybe knew half to a third or a 3 core zone. Yeah. No, Preston, you can't take a Rick Carlisle coach team easy. It, it's just a given. Um, they just came off, what, a couple of losses. But... Each of them, I think, it was less than double digits, uh, both to the Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets. So you can never count out the Mavericks. And especially, as Kevin said, they, they've always somehow been in a pain in the Pelican side, and especially when um, J.J. Barea plays. Now, he's questionable, I think, to play, right? Latest I checked, we weren't sure if he's going to play. And that would be a big deal if he doesn't play, because then I'll feel a lot, lot better. Then <laughs> you've got no Barea, you've got no Smith, who you're right. He torched us in that first go-around. It seemed like he didn't miss his first shot till like what was it late in the third quarter of that game. Also, uh,
3: Powell, man, Powell is always a guy that gives us trouble too. He's like a really athletic shot blocker who's now developed a bit of an outside shot, and he always seems to give us trouble.
2: Yeah, you're right. But overall, though, no, this has got to be a win. I'm just not expecting to be that 20 to 25. Hey, rest comfortably, AD drew, take off the fourth quarter. Now, I'm expecting it to be almost like that Boston Celtics game where. You know, the Pelicans kind of, you know, tussled back and forth in that first half, and then they kind of built a double-digit lead in the third quarter only to see it kind of evaporate towards the end there until they grabbed hold the reins and, you know, went away away in the fourth. So I'm expecting that type of game. Like I said, it's the Mavericks, man. Rick Carlisle always gets his troops up for the games, and you can see the Pelicans kind of come out probably a little sluggish. I don't know, for whatever reason they do, whether it's in the first or third quarters, but they haven't been that 48-minute team. And they may think in the back of their minds, hey, we got three games in a row, so let's conserve a little bit. So you don't know. But Preston, come on, man. You're a fan. You've been a fan for a while. You don't expect a 20 or 25 point easy win, do you?
0: I mean, I I don't want to jinx us. The Mavericks have lost three of four. They're 22 and 48. They're 13th in the West. Mark Cuban was literally fined $600,000 for saying that his team needs to start tanking. Uh, And of course, there was that giant scandal. I'm I'm writing the preview up later, so I don't want to spoil anything. But there was that giant (laughs) scandal listed on SI.com about all the things that were happening in the the front office for Dallas. Obviously, that doesn't translate down to the floor, but you can just, these guys are going to play hard. Of course, they've got one of the five, Best coaches in the league and Rick Carlisle, but. This is just one of the ones you gotta. You just got to come in early and you just got to step on their throats, especially with everything that's in stake. You know, we, we can't talk about it enough five games in six nights. Alvin Gentry, of course, said earlier in the season that these guys are young, they're athletic, back-to-backs aren't what they used to be. These guys all have the best training, the best nutrition, all that yada, yada, yada. I can't imagine running five miles three days in a row, much less playing 48 minutes of basketball. So I do think it's important that these guys come in early, they set the tone, give a lot of minutes uh, to these guys in the first half don't don't let yourself get out to 20 points and then take everybody off the floor just just space out those minutes a bit more get jack diallo a bit more run get ian clark a bit more run early make sure that you establish a rhythm and just Put these guys away. There's there's no excuse for letting this one get the better of them. Uh, that's all I'm going to say, but I don't want to jinx us. Let's move on to the Pacers. This one is going to be a battle. The Pacers need this one every bit as much as the Pelicans do. And they've got a pretty uh, formidable front court. They've got uh, Victor Oladipo is playing at an all-star level. Corey Joseph uh, has been really effective in that lead guard position uh al jefferson has been getting some run uh as a starter recently uh i I, and haven't checked the status on miles turner but it looks like he might be out for this one which would be a huge boon for the pelicans but then you've got trevor booker coming off the bench darren collison his speed always seems to give the pelicans fits you've got lance stevenson who's been playing well lately uh what do you think happens in this one kevin
3: um i think well i didn't really get my prediction for the dallas game but i think we'll win it um and I think we'll take this one as well. Um, the Pacers are a really good team. I think Miles Turner really affects a lot with, of what's going on over there, and I don't think he's going to play in this game. And I think um, Al Jefferson will have trouble banging with uh, Okafor, and then we will have trouble when he has to guard Anthony Davis. I think you can get them in foul trouble early. Um, I love watching Lance Stevenson play. You know, it's always uh, an adventure, so I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to be able to see Oladipo play uh, at the level he's been playing at this year in person because I've always been an Oladipo fan. Um, I-, I liked him when he was in Orlando. Um, so I, um, I'm excited to see him up close. I think it's going to be an up-and-down fun game. Um, it's going to be hard fought. I don't think we're going to be able to rest. But I do think we're going to edge it out in the end just because I think uh, Drew Holiday can lock up uh, whoever their best perimeter guy is. And then now we have, uh, you know, Liggins is playing pretty decent on the perimeter. Um, so you can use him and minutes to cool other guys off. And then, you know, we have Diallo that's going to be able to run Al Jefferson up and down the court. Anthony Davis will be able to do that as well. Um, Booker's, you know, a tough rebounder. So that's the, that's the key right there is, uh, you know, if we can out rebound them, then we're going to win that game for sure. And I think that's what it's going to come down to is rebounds.
0: And of course, Ali, this is that infamous makeup game from early February where the roof was literally leaking and they pulled a tarp out. (laughs) Uh, what do you, what do you think happens in this one?
2: I'm worried about this one. I want to say they'll win, but you know, I'm tempted to say that they'll, they'll go ahead and throw up a loss. Um, it's all going to depend on who comes back. You're right. For the the Pacers, that is. Miles Turner, I think he's questionable to play tonight against the Lakers when I did check. Sabonis was ruled out. And then uh, I heard that Thad Young's dealing with some kind of illness. So, I don't know. I mean, if these guys, they sound like they're all kind of you know close to playing. They basically look like they might be full strength when they play the Pelicans, and that's bad, simply because this is a well-coached team. That they seem to be really gelling. This is one of the biggest surprise stories, I think, of the NBA this season was the fact or the fact that the Pacers have done so well that they're right there in the the middle of that Eastern tier, the Eastern Conference. So, yeah, I don't know, Preston. I want to say that they're going to win, take care of business, just like they did when they went up to Indiana, which is obviously a much tougher place to play than here at home. But the haven't fared that well at home, and they've got three in a row. So out of all these three games, this is the one I'm afraid of.
0: All right. uh, Wow. Uh, and just some notes on Damana Sabonis. He's probably going to be out for the Pelicans. He's dealing with an ankle as well. Miles Turner, like you said, is questionable tonight, I would think. He's probably at least going to try to give it a go against the Pelicans on Wednesday. Uh, so those guys will probably see some minutes, not some bonus. But um, I, I don't know. I feel good at this, about this one. This one's going to be a hard-fought battle as well. But I just feel confident knowing how well Drew Holiday plays against Victor Oladipo, and just trusting those reserves: uh, Emeka Oakford, Czech Diallo, Ian Clark, to pull up the pull up the rest of the. Sorry, my ESPN app. Uh, I really have to start using my Safari app because whenever I use Google, all these videos pop out and start playing. And, and it's it's difficult to concentrate when there are advertisements going on in the background. Uh, but I'm going to call this one a win, you guys. I think Alvin Gentry just bought us a four-game homestand victory uh, streak. I think one of these games, there's definitely going to be some calls that are going to go the Pelicans ways. And I, I just hope it's going to be this one against the Pacers. Let's move on to the Lakers. We'll go back to Kevin. They've been playing well as of late, although recently, Recently, uh, they're on a, a three-game losing or two-game losing streak, um, with the Heat being a one-point loss and the Warriors being an eleven-point loss. Before that, they took down the Nuggets and the Cavs. Uh, what do you think happens in this one, Kev?
3: Yeah, this is the one that worries me the most. Actually, I mean, obviously, it's the third night in a row, so we're going to be sluggish, and they're a pretty young team. and Isaiah Thomas has is been really good scorer for them off the bench, and then you still have guys like Lonzo Ball's playing well. Ingram's uh, played really well. Brooke Lopez, although I don't really... He's, I'm not a fan of Brooke Lopez's... Um, I don't really like the way he plays, but he's been effective for them. Um, you know, Kuzma's been a little bit of a slump lately, but he still has that potential, and he looked really good against us when he, we played him last time. Um, and then you know how it is here where you go to a Lakers game, just like the Celtics game, and half the crowd are Lakers fans. So... You know, the home field advantage is a little home court advantage is a little bit dissipated uh, when you play those kinds of teams, even in the lean years of the Lakers there's still a lot of Lakers faithful around here. So you don't get that. You got the fatigue factor. And I just think they're like a pretty young team that's built to run and has uh, some some guys that can create their own shots and are good for creating for others. And I just think that's going to be one that we um uh, that's going to be the one that we lose out of the three.
0: I definitely think this one's going to be difficult too, Ali that third nine, in the back-to-back. These guys are going to be tired and these Lakers they're, they're hungry and they're playing well at the right time. And like he mentioned, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and, uh, Kyle Kuzma give them problems and Isaiah Thomas is getting more and more confident lately. What do you think, Ali? I like them. I'm picking the pals guys because, uh, For the reasons you guys stated, you're absolutely
2: right. It's it's worrisome. Three games in a row, no doubt. But what I feel like is going to happen is we may start sluggishly (laughs) in that game. But then the Lakers, because of their pace, um, it kind of plays in the Pelicans' hands. And that's why New Orleans has looked so dominant, I feel like, against the Lakers this season. is the simple fact that we're better at playing a fast-paced style game than they are. As to where, you know, each team's getting all these um, easy points out in transition, uh, in the paint, you know. all that stuff, we're just simply better at converting them simply because we've got better finishers. I think AD and Drew always seem to kill these Lakers. Um, and we, I feel like we'll get enough stops. And now with Diallo, now with our bench being you know, kind of a force, what is it, 43 points, 44 points, last two games they've scored collectively, I feel like they're going to have you know, another nice game. So it's just going to come down to who puts up more points. And I just feel like the Pelicans are a better team when they're allowed to play their style of game. Now, again, like I said, I understand that they'll be tired, but, you know, these guys sometimes have those hard practices in between games. So I'm not that concerned about it being a back to back to back. Um, I'm really not from, you know, being around the team and the coaches. They've kind of they say, yeah, they don't like it either. But they're the ones even mentioned to me that don't forget, you know, sometimes in between games, we'll we'll have a hard practice because we we're coming off kind of a bad stretch. so We have to push the guys. So. I don't think it's going to be highly irregular that they are suddenly playing, you know, in three straight games. So I'm looking for them to go ahead and knock the Lakers off.
0: Uh, Just a note here. Brandon Ingram is likely going to be out. He's already been ruled out tonight. Uh, with a groin, and Josh Hart is uh, out for four to six weeks. I think that was done about two weeks ago. So he should be out for the foreseeable future, too. We're not going to see him. Let's get back to some questions before we wrap this up. I'll start with Kevin. Tejeda asks, what was more surprising to you, Mecca's production or the contributions of Drew Holiday this year?
3: Um, I'm going to say Drew Holiday. I mean, when they signed Emeka, um you know, people were like, why are they signing this guy He's so old out? I mean, my reaction to that was well i know these things about him he can set screens he he knows how to play defense and he can rebound so if he gives us that that's all we needed and those kind of contributions are great he's played better than i thought he would but you know it's still not so unimaginable whereas where i saw drew holiday take a whole another personality shift like he's got a whole different mindset his, his game offensively is like nothing we've seen from him in New Orleans, except for maybe in like three or four game doses here and there. Um, so him elevating his game to that level. And even throughout the season where we saw him look like he couldn't be a guy that could play on the ball um, and now is a guy that we trust either off or on the ball. Um, I think his growth has been incredible. And I I always knew that he was going to bring it on the defensive end and he's always wows us on the defensive end, especially when guarding a, you know, a bigger player. I didn't expect him to be um, this tenacious on offense and this, this efficient on offense, even though, you know, he isn't the greatest jump shooter out there. He's still finding ways to score and he's attacking the rim and he's playing with aggression that we haven't seen from him, Um, you know, except for maybe when he was in Philly.
0: Ali, I'm living in the now, but Tejeda is already looking ahead. He says, as of right now, what is the thing you're looking forward to most next season?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, you're right. I can't even think past the next week right now. But the thing I'm looking forward to the most, I guess it's just a, a successful end to this season. The fact that DeMarcus Cousins gets nothing but good news during his rehab and recovery. That's where the Pelicans aren't signing the world's biggest question mark only like half a question mark. And of course they fill out the rest of the roster. They kind of discovered the style that works around uh, AD and Boogie. And I'm sorry, but there's just no way that Boogie doesn't return. So guys just expect it. Just hope it's on somewhat of a team friendlier deal than, you know, a max contract over spread over five years. And then, uh, gee, I don't know. I mean, what kind of expectations you want to put on the rest of the season? I really don't have any other than getting in the playoffs. I think it would just be a huge step. So that's what I would like to see. And that's how we would basically enter next season. You know, kind of building off the success of this season, you know, before and after Boogie's injury and, um, you know, just toward building something. You know, that, that's something that everybody, every fan had wanted to see when Alvin Gentry first showed up. Could they continue on the success of that playoff 2014-15 season? Obviously, the answer was no. But hopefully now they've got kind of a solid core. So let's see the success continue. Hopefully they can build on Because that's what the NBA is. It's about continuity continuity and just getting a little bit better each year i mean perfect example this season the raptors so you kind of want the pelicans to you know just stay on this track upwards for a change it's nice to be on the upward swing
0: all right you guys i think that's gonna do it right now my name's preston else of course you've been listening to ali Cosell and kevin barrios this is the bird calls uh we've got a lot of games coming up so this might be our last podcast until friday where we'll wrap up the three games of action unless we're feeling really crazy if there's some kind of I don't know, breaking news. If Alvin Gentry tries to, uh, I don't know, take an official by the throat, uh, maybe we'll we'll come back on an emergency-type style. Otherwise, we're going to let these three games come and go. Uh, of course, if you have any questions, send them my way at Preston Ellis. Thank you, uh, again, for listening in general. If you want to do one more thing, of course, go up on iTunes, go on Apple Podcasts, and give us a five-star rating. I'll have a preview for the Mavericks game up in a few hours. I'll send that over to Ollie's way. He usually posts them late at night. Um... Before we let you go, Ali, is there anything you want to tell our listeners?
2: I just want everybody just to kind of relax and chill. Hot takes are a part of the name of the game in the NBA, and we've seen them like all season long. And the reason I'm talking about this is simply because Tom Ziller today, you know, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but out of SB Nation, published an article basically questioning how long are the Pelicans going to stay in New Orleans. And if you read the article, he's not exactly saying New Orleans is going to lose or leave for sure anything like that. But the simple fact, he's raising this question now. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. So just take it as another hot take, just like the ones like, say, for instance, at the start of the year. Nobody predicted the Pelicans would make the playoffs. Uh, making the playoffs as a last seed was pointless. Um, the team around Cousins and AD was crap. Cousins and AD were going to be traded. You know, I can go on and on. So just ignore the stuff, man. Stuff you don't like, just ignore it and move on. Don't, just don't get yourself worked up over it.
0: Yeah, I talked about it on on the pod the other night when I was talking to uh, Ben DeBose of Locked on Rockets. We live in a day and age where it's, it's difficult to get attention, especially as an aspiring writer. And of course, you've got guys like us doing this for fun, uh, trying to get our voices heard. And so when you are someone in that position, sometimes the best way to get attention is, uh, I don't know, splashy headlines. And you know i don't want to call it deplorable because we all we all suffer from it at one point or another whether it be anthony davis for mvp or whatever version of it you want to put forward we all try to get attention whenever we have an idea that we want others to listen to. So I don't want to harp on him too much. He's just a man. He's just a writer. He's probably doing his job, and somebody's probably suggesting that as an idea topic for him. But with that being said, everybody rest easy. From all the comments we've heard from Alvin Gentry, Dell Demps, Mickey Loomis were in wonderful hands with Gail. The words by Adam Silver, if nothing else, should make everybody feel confident going forward. Uh, so Ali said it pretty well, and I'm just going to add my two cents to that. Kevin, before we let uh before we let our listeners go, I guess, anything from you, sir?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, while we're talking about um, writers and stories and things like that um, and sort of hot takiness and the the negativity that we often see, I would like to take time to welcome our new writer to the Bird Rights, Chris Connor. I've got to know him a little bit through DMs over the over the season, and I really like him, and I think he's a really good addition to this team, and everybody should follow him at Impatient Bull, I believe is his uh is his twitter handle he comes from pelican debrief where we also got preston um so i'm looking forward to hopefully having him on the pod soon because i've never actually talked to him and heard his voice just DMing back and forth and um i think he's a funny guy and a good writer and uh, a positive guy um and i'm happy to be working with him
0: now well said sir welcome to the team and uh that's going to do it for us today um I guess that's it. I'm Preston, Ollie, Kevin. Follow them at Kevin B for Bounce and at Ollie Cosell. And we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Let's go, Pels. You have been listening to the Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today.